Good morning again. Um, most of you, I think, are aware of my announcement that I made back in August, uh, my transition, um, uh, moving to work with a counseling group, uh, starting a counseling. We, it's officially, we'll be, we'll be officially working with a group called the Christian Counselors Collaborative. That's out of Pittsburgh, but establishing a Christian counseling site here in Warren. Um, you know, as I prepare for that transition and Count, start counting the number of Sundays I have and opportunities that I have to share my heart and share your, God's word with you. Uh, I've only been through this transition a couple of times, uh, and it's never easy. Uh, and and honestly, I can tell you, it's not easy. Any, I think I've talked to times at times. I know, especially when I left my last congregation, that there was a sense that it was e- easier for me than it was the church. But it's it's. There's different feelings and emotions that come on both sides of this decision and, and sense of God following God's leading. You know, as I think about the final messages and final opportunities that I have to bring God's word to you as a congregation, uh, I was I remember when I after 15 years at McKeesport, 15 and a half years at McKeesport, I remember struggling just where God would lead those final messages and. I remember reading through all those places in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul was writing to churches that he planted and churches that he knew, he had a relationship with them, and, and he had these very personal prayers. Like, read through Paul's letters, you see that. It's a very personal relationship. And I remember reading those when I was younger and not really getting that. But when you um, transi- make the type of transition I'm making where I'm going from a place of serving a congregation to, a, to moving to a different ministry, there's an emotional attachment and connection that, that forms. It's a part of that ministry. And so when I read those letters from Paul, I get that. When Paul refers to the people he's writing to as like his family, his little children, um, I get that. Uh, but, you know, as I, as I was preparing for these final times, I, um, I have, there's six Sundays counting today, but two of them, one, we have the privilege of have, ben, have Benoit uh, Foucault with us from uh, one of our missionaries, he and Marcy were with us about a year and a half ago. Uh, so one of the Sundays, and I forget the date, help me with the date, it's in three weeks, I think. Uh, we'll be hitting you hard with the information about that missions weekend <laughs> this week. But uh, what was the date again? 17th, thank you. Um, and while we'll be here, Pastor Steve will be bringing a message. So I've got four Sundays, of so the six Sundays, to share with you. And uh, today is the first of those four. But, you know, I... What, what was interesting, though, as I was thinking about today, as I was mapping these things out a few weeks ago, I, reali- I was brought back to a transition I had while I was in seminary. Um, some of you may not know, know the story or realize, but like from my, I went to Asbury College, now university for four years, and then cro- literally crossed the street to the seminary, Asbury Seminary. But from my sophomore year in college to the end of a second year of seminary, I served in a small church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I went on working as their youth pastor. They were small, but they, they I think I got $50 a month to work with the youth. And, and, I, and, it, and it got to a point they couldn't pay me, and I just kept, ser- kept serving. Uh, and, and that grew, that ministry grew to where I, it, it was a small enough church that I, I had all sorts of experience. I got to work with the youth. I got to w- really anywhere I wanted to serve. It was a small enough church that I could just step in, so I got experience, a little bit of preaching experience, working with small group ministry, working with the youth, and 
it came to a point towards my final year of seminary that I had to do a supervised ministry. And I remember realizing there was no one there to supervise me because the church was in transition. They were in transition from pastoral leadership, and I was one of the key leaders at the church, but I knew I needed it. I needed a year where someone that was seasoned and experienced could pour into me. And uh, I was wrestling with the decision to make the transition to work with Ron Gifford at First Alliance in Lexington uh, and him serving as a mentor for a year and to not only fulfill a requirement for school, but also that training that and mentoring that I needed. And I was wrestling with it because I'm, those of you that know me know I'm, I'm I think I'm relational. I, I, I build friendships and, and I feel a connection and I struggle with these type of things because of the relationship. Uh, and, and so I remember struggling, feeling guilt that I was going to leave this little church in Nicholasville to go and to be mentored at First Alliance in Lexington. And, and I scheduled an appointment with one of my professors. He was Prof Boyd. He was a retired Wesleyan pastor. Or not retired. He was a Wesleyan pastor. He had transitioned from preaching to teaching in seminary. And he was my preaching prof at the time. And I always appreciated him, and I wanted to talk to him because he, most of the people I studied under at Asbury, they were academic people. They were, it was like into the languages and the studies. And Prof Boyd was someone who had 20, 30 years of pastoral experience, and I wanted to talk to him. And I remember I shared my struggle about the transition, and, and he looked at me and he said, what you, what's the text you were assigned to preach in class this week? And I said, 1 Corinthians 3. And he said, and what's the main point of 1 Corinthians 3? It's God's church. And we're going to read, we're going to read the text today, verses 1 through 17. And that's the theme. Um, it's God's church. God is the one who provides the leaders, different leaders at different times and seasons. It's God that provides the growth. It's God that provides his very own spirit for the church to be the church. And yet then there's a responsibility for all of us to be servants and laborers doing our part and our work within the body of Christ and being faithful with whatever, wherever he has us, being faithful with where he has us. I remember walking out of Prof. Boyd's office thinking, man, it's amazing I could be preparing this and living in this text and preparing to preach during a preaching class, and it never hit me of how relevant it was to what I was going through at that time, that I had to trust that God was going to care for the Nicholasville Church and he was going to care for me and he was going to care for um, First Alliance. He was going to work things out and all of us just needed to be faithful and to do what God was calling us to do. You know, I, I already kind of gave it a little bit of an outline and, uh, in my, that story that when we look at the text we're going to read in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 17, you're going to see very clearly it's God that gives the growth it is God who provides leaders and workers, and he is the one who provides the spirit. But we all need to be faithful and to do our part. And, and really, through all of it, is a key word. It seems to be a key word in my life that I always have to come back to, and I think I'm not alone in this, that typically when God takes us through transitions, one of the key things is to trust him, to trust God that he's going to work out the details. And so as we read this, I just we're going to read through verses 1 through 17, reflect, we'll read a few verses and pause and reflect and, and think that through. And then and towards the end of the message, we'll, I'll give you some kind of highlights and key themes for our, our takeaway in this text today. But 
I'd like to just encourage you to read along with me, picking up in verse 1. This is again Paul writing to the church in Corinth. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. And for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now, my choosing this text is not putting those labels on you. This is, uh, there are some differences here. Um, Paul is, the church in Corinth is, is presented throughout the scripture as probably one of the most um, dysfunctional churches in the sense of lack of maturity. There's conflict. There's a lot of issues going on. Uh, and I know part of my ministry here, I've been blessed by the level of maturity among the leaders and uh, so many of the, the folks here and, and their, your maturity in the faith. Those key principles are what we're looking at today. Is that this is a, Paul is addressing a specific church, and in this specific church in Corinth, there's conflict. There's, and and there, there's not a level of spiritual maturity. He describes them as infants in Christ, that they're not mature. And so he's basically saying, I've had to give just the basics, giving you spiritual milk, giving you the basics of the faith, because you weren't ready for more. That's part of what Paul was saying here. But one of the key pieces of what Paul introduces here, and this really bookends chapter verse 1, verses 16 and 17, is that he, call, he calls them people of the flesh, that they're behaving in a human way, which that... that that we see throughout a lot of Paul's letters, a flesh versus spirit, is, is a consistent theme in, in a lot of Paul's writings. And, and, and here we're seeing a contrast between he initially is addressing the church at Corinth and saying, you're walking in the flesh in, in your own human nature. And, and basically the human nature is that um, your desires and your characteristics before God gets a hold of us. Before God comes into our life and fills us, it's our, our human nature that even when we're saved, when we come to faith in God and God's spirit comes to live inside of us, we all know that the, the human nature is still there and we can make the choice in moment by moment. We can choose to walk in the flesh and our own human understanding and strength and our own human characteristics rather than trusting God's spirit to live in us and through us. Um, so that this is this is the key thing that's going on here, and, and and it's amazing when you think about what he ends with in this section, where where we're going to end today, in verse sixteen, he he he's already said you are living or you are people of the flesh, but then he ends in verse sixteen, you are God's temple, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Both of those things he's identifying are true. They're, in this moment, these people are walking according to the flesh, and and that's being seen by their jealousy. It's being seen by their strife, and, and they're acting more like the world around them. And specifically, it's in this group, it's like these tribes that are forming, these groups that are forming and say, well, we follow Paul, or we follow Apollos. There's different things. I mean, the world right now is as divided as I've ever seen it. And it might be based on who you listen to and who you're, the teachers you might follow. It might be based on political ideology. It might be based on all your, your interests. There are a lot of things that can divide us. And yet, 
Paul is calling to the, the church to something higher. Where we break down those divisions and we walk in unity. Paul addresses the, the people in Corinth as, as people who are, because of their jealousy and strife, that they're not understanding the role of God's spirit in their life. And, and that keeps, that's where we're going to pick up again in verse 5. He, he continues to say, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Now we know that, I mean, we know who Paul is. Paul is uh, the apostle who's not only writing the church in Corinth and, and most of what we have in the New Testament are, are through God working through Paul and, and writing these letters to the different churches in the, the begin, early part of the church's history. But most of us probably don't know who Apollos is. Apollos, we understand if you look at Acts 18 and 19, um, we know he's a Jewish Christian from Alexandria. He, but he's known specifically in verse, Acts 18, 24, he's described as someone who was knowledgeable of the scriptures. He, he was good in rhetoric and like debate. He was passionate and he was bold. Those are the words used to describe him in the book of Acts. And so Paul has had ministry to this church in Corinth. Apollos, this other leader, has had ministry to this church. And, and for some reason at this point, they're... There are factions developing within the group um, around these names. And Paul is saying, look, Paul and Apollos, we are one. We're just servants in whom you have believed. Paul planted. Apollos watered. But who gave the growth? God gave the growth. And he goes on to say, Paul and Apollos, they're just laborers. Laborers who will receive their reward. And it's at this point that Paul shifts a little bit in the metaphor. So far he's using farming, planting analogies. And now Paul shifts from planting to building. In verse 9 it says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if you're going to inspect a home, have you ever been in a place where you're looking at a home, maybe considering purchasing a home? Oh, checking out the foundation is probably one of the most important pieces of that examination to say, is, is because if the foundation isn't secure, nothing else will be secure. And Paul is giving that image. He's moving from the idea of planting and you were God's field to you're also God's building. The church is God's building. And the foundation that has to be secure is the foundation of Jesus Christ. That Christ is the center. That Christ and his salvation and, and him pouring out his very own spirit upon the church is at the foundation of who we are. And yet, most of us don't want to live in a basement foundation is critical. It is foundational. That's the point of the, the, that phrase. 
it's key and, and, it's, and it's the critical piece that has to be in place and can't be tinkered with. Nothing should be tinkered with when it comes to the basics that what we believe is centered on the person of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done for us and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and the promise of his return for us. It's through Jesus that we are saved. It's through Jesus that we have the hope of eternity. And we live each day looking forward to Jesus' return. That's the foundation of our belief. And yet Paul uses the image of building a, building a structure to say, I mean, because, we, we, again, we don't want to just live in the basement. There, the foundation has to be secure, but then you build a structure upon that. And so he says, according to the grace God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building up upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So there has to be care and a focus on keeping Christ the center and then keeping him at the foundation. But all the other work and the building up in our lives and the life of the church is all something that needs to be cautious. We, we want the walls to be straight. You ever been in a home where nothing is square? Again, my dad, carpenter, uh, there are certain things that I will always remember <laughs> working with my dad as trying to buy straight lumber. I've heard that speech, you can't buy straight lumber anymore. Um, anyone else? It's, it's true. You can't, I mean, you just don't, it, anyways, the quality is just different than what it was. Um, I mean, you go into a home, and if you, I've been times where I'd be working with my dad and he'd be trying to put a new door in or a window and the, the door or window isn't square. And that doesn't make for a fun experience, does it, Don? <laughs> it's a, because if, if things aren't built well, it's reflected. You may not see it. I've been in homes that look beautiful, but then you start going a little deeper and you realize this, this home is a mess. That's why there's so many of these TV shows out there. I always love the what it, homes on homes where he'd go in and try to rescue a family that they had a nice looking home, but really at the core of every aspect of the house was a mess. Paul is highlighting the fact that Paul and Apollos, they were just leaders, they were just God's servants doing their part, but there has to be a responsibility and understanding that at every point, the foundation is Christ, but at every point what we build upon that foundation, we need to be using skill and care being faithful. Picking up in verse 12, he says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest or visible, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. See, there's a contrast he starts here. Say, are you building with gold, silver, or precious stones? Or are you building with wood, hay, or straw? And, and the first reaction to that is its value. What are, what's more valuable? Uh, what, what's more lasting? Um, we understand in looking at um, the description of the building of Solomon's temple that the gold, silver, and precious stones were what were used in building Solomon's temple. They would, they would, they would withstand the fire of judgment. They would stand the test of time. Whereas the wood, hay, or straw would be those things that would, would not stand 
through the judgment or the test of time. And so this image is a picture of future judgment where that's a judgment of fire in which everyone's work, Paul and Apollos, and I believe every one of us, will give an account for the work that we do, for the opportunities that we have with our life to make a difference for God's kingdom. There is a day coming where, where, where our work will be judged. And the question is, are we really being faithful to do what God has called us to do? And just pause for a moment. Every one of us, if we're honest, we know that there are things that we probably have done well, moments where we've been faithful and, we, and we've, we've been on focus and on point, and God has used us, and then we've gone through seasons, I'll speak for myself, seasons where I, maybe we got distracted or we were off point. None of this negates God's grace. But in times of transition, there are opportunities for us to evaluate our own work. Knowing there is a day coming where God will evaluate our work. It's important that we pause and we reflect on our lives and say, yes, I'm saved. Yes, I trust Jesus for my salvation and my eternity. But what am I doing with the gifts he's given me to make a difference for his kingdom? All of us will face a day in which we'll give an account for the opportunities that God has given us. And I pray that there'll be more on the gold, silver, precious stone side for myself and for each of you than the wood, hay, or stubble. You know, when you hear the idea of judgment, I, I, I think it's important that we pause and we're going to deviate a little bit from 1 Corinthians 3 because you always have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And it's critical that we understand that we're not talking about judgment with regard to our salvation. If we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our hope and eternity is secure. If our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, our hope and eternity is secure. But there is a picture of a judgment in which our work and what we do with what God has given us is sorted out. In this image, we see it being sorted out through fire of what will stand but I just want to remind you that in what the scripture teaches us that we're not talking here about the idea of being judged and in any sense of losing our salvation. It's an issue of what, how faithful we have been with the opportunities that God has given us to make a difference for his kingdom. Because the scripture is clear that we are justified not by our works, we're justified by faith. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that there, we won't face condemnation. John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. If we've put our faith and trust in Christ and what Jesus did on the cross for us, and, and we've put our faith in him and trusted him for salvation, our, our eternity is secure in him. But now God then looks at us, and, and we, we know that we're living a life where we look forward to Christ's return, and there will be a day that we'll give an account for the opportunities that we've had in, in, in serving him, and, and the moment by moment that, we, that we're making use of the gifts and the abilities that God has given us to make a difference for his kingdom. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Remember the story of the, um, the different servants are given different amounts of money to go and to do something with it. Remember the final words in, in Matthew 25, 23 to the faithful servants, those who have been faithful with what the master had given them. Gives us an image of, of those of us that are faithful with what God gives us in our life and our gifts and the time that he has given us. He says, the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I can say personally for me, whether I'm pastoring a church, whether I'm counseling, my desire is to be faithful to whatever God is calling me to do. And whether you're working as a teacher, whether you're retired, whatever job or career God has given you, I'd want to ask you, are, are you looking forward to that day of seeing God look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant? God wants us to take everything he's given us, our, our, our natural born gifts that are God-given or the spiritual gifts that God gives us when he pours his spirit out on us. He wants us to take all of who we are and, and become laborers and servants for him. But we have to be willing. I believe that the best summary that I found as I was preparing for today to describe the work that will survive is that it's work that's done in Christ-like faith and obedience. Work done in Christ-like faith and obedience will survive and be rewarded. Work done in the power of the flesh with our own strength or in disobedience will not survive. When we put our faith and our trust in him and let him work through us, that is the work that will survive. When we're faithful to do moment by moment, day after day, to do the work that God calls us to do, that is the work that will survive. Those same, the same jealousy or factions or those, the desires of the human nature that would have caused the conflict and division within the body of Christ in Corinth, we, we have to be cautious that, that what we do is being motivated out of bringing glory to Christ and his kingdom and not our own desires. God calls us to be faithful and obedient whatever he calls us to do. <clears throat> this passage, as we talked about, I use the term bookends. If you don't get the idea of bookends, um, remember two on either side of a book, uh, on, if you see in a bookshelf, that idea of what's at the beginning in verse one and now what we see in verses 16 and 17 are really kind of bookends on this whole conversation. He first addresses them as immature and, and he addresses them as people of the flesh that are being, the jealousy and the rivalry and everything that's happening is, is, is being motivated out of, out of their human nature rather than a dependence upon God's spirit. But he ends with the reminder that they are God's temple. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You were God's temple. And in the Old Testament, we know that the temple was the place that God would dwell. It went from the tabernacle, and then eventually to the temple. It was the place where God's spirit would manifest, where God's spirit would dwell. It was a place where God's spirit would fill. In Isaiah 6, as Isaiah describes the throne room of God, it's God's, he's overwhelmed by the presence of God filling the temple. We understand that 
from a New Testament perspective, that we don't go to a physical place. While we, we celebrate the fact that God is present with two or three that are gathered in his name as Christians, we celebrate his presence. But the reality is, is God's spirit is not associated with a building. God's spirit is associated with his people. That if we are surrendered, if we have come to faith in Jesus Christ and, and we walk in dependence and, and surrender to his spirit, God's spirit fills us and works through us. And, and that brings us to a key, another key observation here. Not just that it's you are God's temple, but you know it's very easy to take that from our perspective and our culture that's very individualistic. We apply that personally. And yet, you know, in, in English, if I say you are strong, you don't know if I write that on a piece of paper whether I'm writing to an individual you or a collective you. In Greek, we, we get a clue of, of the, the you there's, there, it's in the way that it's written. We'll say whether I'm talking a you, Steve, or a you, all, or in Pittsburgh, you's guys. Um, there's a, there, the focus here is not an individual. Throughout this entire chapter, the focus is on collective you. It's a plural you. So yes, there's other places in Scripture that talk that when we come to faith in Christ, God's Spirit comes into our hearts, comes into our, our lives on in an individual basis. But the idea of being God's temple is not based on me personally. It's based on us as God's church letting His Spirit fill us and transform us. It's a plural focus, and, and, and this is followed, this, this warning is, is, or this statement that you are God's temple, you all. He's talking to the entire church in Corinth, and he's talking to each one of us, and he says, you all are the temple of God, and God's spirit lives in you. He goes on in verse 17 to present a warning, that if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. And the emphasis in, the, in these words is, is on not only the fact that there's accountability and, just, and judgment that would fall on, on any of us that would do anything to harm the temple, to harm God's body in, in the church. But there's also, out of that, the motivation, and, and I believe that in the focus here, is to, to put us to a place that we remind, be reminded that we are to walk in holiness that we are to walk in holiness and, and recognizing and holiness is being set apart from the world and dedicated fully to God. And so collectively, we, we need to come to that place where that we're not only pursuing individual personal holiness, that's a must, but what the focus of these verses, I believe, is, is that collectively, that as God's church, we are setting ourselves apart, we're dedicated to him, and we're going to walk in holiness, and we're not going to do anything that would harm the unity of the body, that we would let God's spirit walk in us and through us and that he would use us. You know, again, this is most of all the messages that I've heard on holiness over the years have had that personal focus. And there's plenty of places. That's, that's still a central message of scripture is we have to personally walk in holiness, being set apart and dedicated to God. But these verses remind us that there's an aspect of our holiness that's reflected in our relationship with others. 
how we treat the body of Christ, how we treat God's temple. God wants us to walk in holiness, being fully setting aside our own wants, our own desires, our own selfishness, and, and living sacrificial lives in which we seek God's will for the body. I want to ask you today, as you think about that idea that God's Spirit dwells in you, how does your understanding and experience of holiness not only impact your own life, but in your own personal walk with God, but how does your understanding and experience of holiness impact your relationship with others? Because the reality is the world is watching. And, and what Paul is telling the church in Corinth is that the jealousy, the factions, and the things that are happening in their church are presenting in a horrible testimony to the rest of the world. The world that is watching. We need to make sure that when we focus on the idea of God's spirit coming and sanctifying us and filling us, that it's not just about me and God, it's about how I relate to others. That I'm gonna walk in holiness and pursue God's will for not only my life, but for the life of the body. I'm going to leave, leave you with just a quick summary of, of the points that I see in these verses that I think are helpful for me during this transition. I pray they're helpful for you. We need to be reminded that Warren Alliance Church is God's church. And I've had the privilege over the years of talking to some of you that have been a part of Warren Alliance Church for a number of years, and you have seen God's faithfulness. You've described challenges. You've described seasons that were, that were harder than others. But there's been a consistent theme of God's faithfulness to this body. And God will continue to be faithful to this body. The question is, will we walk in dependence upon him? seeking his will for our lives both individually and together. We're being reminded, if we can go to the final slide, or actually not final slide, go back one more. Sorry, I broke this up. The first three on this slide, it's God's church. He gives the growth. Some of you have been around here long enough that maybe one pastor impacted you in one way and one pastor impacted you in another way, whatever. It was God working through Reverend Meckley. It was God working through Reverend Marshall. It was God hopefully working through me. However God spoke to you and worked with you, it's God that gave the growth. It's his church, and he will be faithful. We're reminded in these verses that we all, Paul and Apollos and every one of us, our fellow laborers and servants. The question is, are we willing to make our lives available to serve, to be part of what God is doing through Warren Alliance Church? We know, we're reminded today that our work will be judged. While our salvation is secure in Jesus, we don't have to live as those who are condemned. There is still clearly a, a theme throughout the scriptures that we will give an account for what we have done with the gifts that God has given us. And the question is, have we been, are we going to be faithful? Not perfect. Are we going to be faithful? And the final theme and final point is that as a people indwelt by, with God's spirit, this is on the last slide, 
as people indwelt with God's spirit, we are called to walk in holiness. Not just a personal holiness, but a holiness that impacts every relationship within the body and as we go out and live in this world, that, that our relationships, how we interact with people are transformed because it impacts not only our walk with God and walk with each other, but our testimony before an unbelieving world. We need to live in such a way that God is seen in us, that the very spirit of Christ is seen in us in how we love one another. It's my prayer today as the worship team comes to lead us that, that we would just be faithful. And in these final few weeks that I have with you, it's my prayer that God would not only be speaking to you, but God would be speaking to me. Transitions can always be challenging. Transitions can also be an opportunity for God to do something new. And I I believe that God will continue to be faithful to this church and work through each one of you as you make yourselves available to, to live and work with God as a fellow laborer here for his kingdom. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I am grateful, Lord, for your word and for the promise, the reminder today that, Lord, when you call us to serve, Lord, the responsibility for fruit, the responsibility for 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 results, Lord, it, it it, we all we have to be faithful. It's you, God, who works in us and through us to accomplish your plan and your purpose. You are the one who gives us gives the growth. And yet you invite every one of us to be fellow workers, fellow laborers for your kingdom. And I just pray that today that you would speak to each of us, help us to see in areas of our life, Lord, that where you want us to possibly surrender things that are distracting us from what you want us to do. Lord, we just renew our commitment to you to be fully surrendered to do your will. And Lord, we pray that we live in such a way that, that Lord, that we not only pursue holiness to be set apart and dedicated to you, Lord, that your holiness would be seen in our lives individually, but Lord, that your holiness would be seen in, in, in how we love one another and care for one another. Lord, so that the world, when they would look at the Warren Alliance Church, they would see you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.